The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel America's number one sports book is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1123. Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Got a great topic for you today. And joining us is the head of R&D at PFF, Eric Eager. Eric, how are you doing, buddy? Ken, I'm doing great. The season's about to start. Now, if you're a Ravens fan, you have to wait a little bit longer than than the rest of us uh, for that Monday game. But uh, uh, it's crazy that we're already here. We're already uh, done watching uh, a week of college football, and uh, we're ready for the NFL. Yeah, great, great set of games yesterday. Particularly that Notre Dame game was uh, was very exciting. I don't know if you watched that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was amazing. It makes you wonder uh, if Florida State would like to have the quarterback decision back. <laughs> I, I don't think the announcers would like to have the quarterback decision yet because they couldn't stop talking about the knee injury for the last quarter of that football game. It's just very, very hard to listen to it. Yeah, the, they, uh, they, t- they hyped up the tight end for Notre Dame at the beginning, and then he had a series of drops and like bad play after his initial touchdown just in time for Mackenzie Milton to enter and for that to be the story for the last quarter. But he, he looked good. Uh, you know, the 
uh, the snapper for uh, Florida State. Uh, that was rough to watch. Like most of the game, it was sort of like a uh, ticking time bomb. And then, of course, it hurt them uh, when it mattered most. Yeah, there you go. All right, Eric. So we're here to talk about, um, is it pressure rate we're going to talk about relative to contracts? Yeah, it's just a look at what teams value. Um I think this is extremely important, you know, for the Ravens specifically because they're a team. And I and I, there was an article I can't remember the outlet, but I was interviewed specifically about the Ravens and how they sort of build defense. And I, I was sort of thinking back, and I'm thinking they are the one team that has been very pragmatic, very innovative in the way in which they've approached generating pressure. Because they're unlike a lot of teams, they don't bottom out. They, you know, other than 2015, they've never really had a bad season under uh, John Harbaugh. And when you look at how how to generate value, you know, how to get value from the edge position, the the draft curve falls off dramatically after yeah. the first ten or so picks. And you know that doesn't mean Adafa away won't be good. It just means expectations have to be pretty uh, tempered for him. But sh- anything short of what the you know the the Chicago Bears did with Khalil Mack, um, which was a hit, you know, relatively speaking, what the Chiefs did with Frank Clark, which wasn't, yeah, um, a team of the caliber of the Ravens just doesn't have access to elite pass rushers, and and so and and the league. And that and that makes it hard because the league is super efficient is what I'm going to show here. The league is super efficient at pricing edge players Um, and the edge performance is extremely stable from season to season. So um, I'm just going to show a couple different things here. We at PFF, we chart um, what are called. Well, we chart chart a bunch of different things for pass rushers. We chart uh, PFF grade, which is generally speaking sort of like. a a subjective look at how a pass rusher did on a play. We chart pressures, which is whether or not he got a pressure on a quarterback, which you move a quarterback off a spot, you change the quarterback's direction, that kind of thing. Ken, did you want to say something? Yeah, yeah, let me, let me, I I had a couple of things I've just got to get back to in this. The the first is about draft capital, the point you made with regard to that. One of the things about the Ravens is they've never had access to the top of the draft period, which means they never get the quarterback necessarily they want. They happen to get Lamar Jackson at 32, which was terrific. Um, They traded down twice to get Joe Flacco uh, in a year where they did have a pretty decent pick. But one of the things I see frequently is that, It's all a a myth that the Ravens trade back as much as other NFL teams. Well, when you have less draft capital, it's not easy to trade back or you don't get as many opportunities to do it just because you have less total draft capital. Damn it. So, of course, the guys at the top of the first round are going to are going to do that. Fascinated, though, to hear about uh, the league pricing pressure. I wanted you to get back to that. Apologize for breaking with that. But I just felt like I needed to say it. No, that that makes perfect sense. And and yeah, and and you're right about it. I mean, sometimes you get. Um, the Kenneth Murray situation last year where the, the New England's able to trade um, back out of the first round. Um, you know, you, you, the Jordan Love pick was a late first round pick, mm-hmm. but you don't get great value for those. And and even the, the draft where they ended up with Hayden Hurst um, and Lamar Jackson, that was a trade back. And they kind of accumulated enough capital to have the ammo to move up to 32 and get Jackson. But it's still not a lot. I mean, when you're looking at these trades into the top 10, that's where you can really accumulate oh, yeah. 
additional capital that is extremely you know useful um but but the ravens play the numbers game and, and of course they had two first round picks this past year because uh, of a trade of uh, orlando brown who was again a player who um you know again the league valued maybe more than they did for very analytical reasons so let's let's look at so again i gotta talk pressure so so to kind of get this in the line when people see our grades the grades are a little bit different than pressure rates because you as you can imagine there are going to be plays where you get a positive grade from us and don't earn a pressure. So you beat you beat your blocker really, really easily. And the quarterback gets rid of the ball early and you don't get a pressure. We'll positively grade that. And then there are other plays where you can get a sack or a pressure without getting a positive grade because you're maybe cleaning up on a play or, um, or, you know, the quarterback, you know, walks into it or something like that. Ken. Yeah, so I did the question I had about about pressure is can you define it any better in terms of what a pressure is? Like I have a specific definition I use for my own charting. It's within three seconds. I think you guys are two and a half. And then if you impede the quarterback's ability to step into the throw within a sixty degree cone, then that's a pressure. Um, if you go at him from the backside and don't quite get there, even if you miss by just inches, uh, that that isn't necessarily a pressure. So I, I'd love to hear how PFF defines it. That, that's a good question. I, I don't chart the games. I just do the math. So mm-hmm. I will say our grades, once they're normalized, so pressures are a raw statistic. So you just get pressures. And uh, whereas the grades are going to be normalized for cer- cer- certain situations. So you can get a pressure after five seconds. It's just not going to necessarily be you're not going to get a good grade based off of it, right? Clean so but you, you, somebody had to generate the pressure, much like somebody had to get a sack on a play if a sack occurred. Um, so there, there's a – and again, like the, the nice thing is that these two things, if you look at the R squared between your pressure rate and your grade, it's about – depending upon – I have access to the plus minus grades. If you have access to the zero to 100 grades, it might be a little bit different. But I have – I, you know, the correlations about 0.9 or more R squared, sorry. So R squared is 0.9 or more, meaning that if you get pressures, generally speaking, you get a good grade, but it's not, they're not perfectly correlated for somebody like Bud Dupree, for example, got a lot of pressures in Pittsburgh, but a lot of times that was the result of Stefan Tuitt, Cam Hayward and uh, TJ Watt on the other side, you know, making life easier on him, allowing him to have cleanups and stuff like that. Um, But again, pressures year to year core, you know, have an R squared of about 0.5 um, sacks as we define them, have an R squared year to year, about 0.25. So, and, and pressures predict sacks better than sacks predict sacks. And they, okay. So and pressures are them, the predictor. <laughs> exactly. And then if you, ma- if you mash them together, this is very similar to soccer where they came up with expected goals and tried to use that in betting, and they were like, "Wait, we're losing something here." Then they said, "Okay, we're gonna at, we're gonna use both goals and expected goals," and that did a better job in the betting models. If you add pressures to sacks, you get a you can get like you you know you can explain about thirty percent of the variance year to year in sacks, which is a you know that's a pretty big markup for a statistic as noisy as that. Um, so so that's kind of. And so my, my thought process, I'll, I'll share the screen here, um, is essentially when you look at what teams want to pay for, and on the bottom here is, this is a decision tree. 
Um, you know, all the caveats about decision trees that they're noisy and stuff like that. That's why you use something like a, a, and, a, you know, a random forest or an XG boost model where you ensemble a bunch of these. But I think one decision tree does a good job of sort of showing what folks pay for. So if, if you look up top here, you know, this, these are the variables. So sacks and pressures, and this is the number of sacks and number of pressures you've generated two years prior to when you sign a veteran deal. So no rookie deals are involved in this. Um, and this is, this is, you know, these aren't rates, right? Because I want to talk about the Ravens for in a little bit and, and how well they did with Tyus Bowser's contract in a second, but like, so here you look in, and again, these are how many sacks you're involved in. So mm-hmm. essentially in, in two years, if you're a seven sack a year guy or more, you're sort of in the, in, in a certain category. So they split the tree that way. If you, oh, uh, oops, page up. There we go. And, and if you are a, if you are a nine sack a year, more guy, then they'll put you in a different category. And then how much of a pressure guy you are now to get 55 pressures in the season is a pretty good feat. And so if you're more than that, notice you're in that, you know, the median of this distribution down here is about 17 million APY. Mm-hmm. Now there's a couple caveats here. I did not put season into this tree. Season is an important variable, obviously, because the cap until this past season has gone up each year. But again, this is just sort of a very baseline level model. What's it? Um, let, me, let me ask you this before you go on here. You, sure. I, you, you mentioned the number seven and the number nine and the number 55, which seems to be half of these numbers I'm seeing in the top, top, very top one, and then one down to the right, one Correct. down to the right. Why is that? I just used the previous two years. The previous two years. Okay, yep. great. So, so seven is, yeah. So, and that's to sort of like deal with, you know, so, you know, changes in roles and stuff. And you look over here and again, if you're not a guy that gets a lot of sacks or a lot of pressures, maybe you were injured or something like that. You're, you're going to be kind of veteran, a veteran minimum player. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, I did put season in here because it does split a little bit. Um, and then again, you know, whether or not you had a few sacks, but it, again, it mostly splits the tree into sort of like good pass rushers versus bad pass rushers. And, um, you know, and, and secondarily, you'll think about pressures, which is interesting, right? Because we just talked about pressures are what predict sacks and you pay for sacks, right? And so some of these teams, you know, when you think about who the smart teams are, they're maybe going to pay for pressures first instead of sacks and sort of reap the benefit of that due to regression and things. Mm-hmm. So here's an example. Here's APY and millions. Here are pressures the last two years before signing. Notice here now there's there's an interesting thing here where you have, you know, um, some players who were paid a lot of money didn't necessarily generate the most pressures. There's a little bit of a inflection point, maybe a rounding of this curve that you simply don't see in the next curve, which is sacks, right? Is where you any- see a very linear, possibly even. Um, you know, yeah, a very linear curve here where, again, if you have if you have a ton of sacks, you're going to get paid accordingly. Are these um, all edge or is there any position specificity here? Like, is there a Donald on this graph or this is all edge? All edge. Yep. Good. Because edges are just I mean, it's a different category altogether. Sure. So, again, there's a little bit of diminishing returns for getting the next pressure. If you want to be paid, not so much in the next sack. 
Okay. And so is a little bit of flattening towards the beginning, I would I would expect, because you've got more replacement level players down yes. there. You don't need to pay for the replacement level. And then you start need to pay pretty linearly for, for um, you know, these pressures or these sacks uh, as you go forward from a certain point. Okay, that's fascinating. It's really from, it's, I would say about 10 sacks is the point at which you really need to pay linearly from that point. Yes. So if you're, and you think about it that way, like a 10 sack guy is sort of like, you, it, you, I mean, you're a productive NFL player. You're not like a superstar, but you're a productive NFL player. Good stuff. Um, Good stuff. And, and so the interesting thing here is when you look at somebody like, like Tyus Bowser and, and there's another, you know, a couple, a few other things sort of about, um, about his career. Um, but the, but the main one is, is Tyus Bowser has seven sacks the last two seasons and 10 and a half sacks in his career. So he's somebody who just from a traditional standpoint, if, if he, if I'm his agent, like I don't necessarily have a ton of traditional ammo yes. to go into a contract negotiation with. And the Ravens know this, but you look at, you look at Bowser's pass. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Ken. I, I just want to say, let's go back to the chart for a second. I think Josh is in control of this in terms of putting that back on the screen. I, I in terms of the share screen. Oh, Josh, I, I took it down. I could, I could put it back up. Okay. If you don't mind putting it back up for a second, I just want to, when we're given an example, it's good to look on the chart for where this player would be. So Bowser is a great example. And, and I agree. I mean, there's a lot of value on the margin uh, that, that, that Bowser provides you. It's really not even on the margin. It's the meat of his value in terms of yep. coverage uh, that, that uh, it'd be harder to make a case for that having real value. But uh, there are other NFL teams. And Matt Judon got signed. I, I would say, you know, even though he probably had a pretty good number of pressures, that uh, his coverage value is a significant portion of what he does there as well. Yeah, there, there is. And, and, of course, the team that would value him would be the Patriots yeah. of Kyle Van Noy, Ilk, and, and, and so on. Um, certainly certainly a, a deal for them. But, like, so, but you, look and you look at Bowser, though, he has a pressure rate – that is within striking distance of the Judons of the world, right? When you look at pressures per, per play, he's been a pretty productive player. You look at some other things like, you know, how fast he gets off the ball and his age and, you know, stuff like that. Like this is again, another move where, you know, if you're the Ravens, you get out ahead of the situation and pay him a very modest sum, you know, and you're also now paying Adafa away, a guy who with, um, no sacks in college uh, last season, but a decent pressure rate. You go out and get ahead of these things and buy not the thing that people pay for, but the process that generates the things Mm -hmm. that people pay for. To me, it was a classic Ravens move in, in, you know, in how they act, uh, uh, you know, across the league. And like, you know, the Justin Houston signing was another good one as well. Houston is not necessarily, been so like I, I I root for the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I'm on a lot of Chiefs like message boards and stuff. Like you look at like everybody talks about how they replaced Justin Houston with Frank Clark, and Frank Clark has about as many sacks the last two seasons as uh, Justin Houston, but he did it for like two and a half times as much money. And <laughs> Houston Houston had way more pressures than him. You know, like uh, per per dropback, he was more productive. And so again. 
another way in which the Ravens are sort of taking this. And again, Houston could flop, but it's an inexpensive flop, right? That, that, yes, it's a very inexpensive flop. So that's great. And they they pay him if he produces. He's got about, I think, $4 million in in at the top yep. end on his contract. But I was going to ask you about that. You know, Houston had a little bit of a down year despite a decent sack number last year. That's, as far as what, what I'm understanding, is the kind of guy you want to try and avoid, is a guy who's taking a step back in pressure and is still maintaining a pretty good sack rate. Well, and I think his age combined with that that feeling. But again, like we're talking about a guy who had 22 and a half sacks one year. Mm-hmm. Um, in 18 for Kansas City, he was also very productive. 19 for the Colts, he had double-digit sacks. I think it's more about the derivative than the actual value of the function for, for Houston is why none of, no one in the market wanted him um, until the Ravens came in. I also think that there's um, – you know, there there were some issues in Kansas City as far as like how much you like Christian, like all this kind of stuff. So, like, I, I think that, again, the Ravens are buying low. Um, interestingly, though, they were buying they're also buying low on his pressure rate, too, and just hoping it can come back. That that's an interesting move. I think if they would have spent eight million on him, it probably would have been a bad move at what they're currently paying for him, which is about four. Like, as you said, with no, it's, it's one that. actually when one, it, it only goes to four. If the, if he gets a certain number of sacks, if he's productive. So like, so again, I think that's a slam dunk, especially given, you know, they were going to go into the season with Pernell McPhee, um, who was very good for them as a sub left, got injured a lot, came back, was okay. But then obviously not good enough to make the team. Like, I think that they made a bunch of low stakes gambles that, you know, they don't really care. They don't have an ego of which one of those guys works out. They just want, you know, some subset of them to. It looks like that's going to happen. Well, Pernell McPhee, actually, uh, he he was a designed uh, left off the roster because he's a veteran guy making the minimum. The Ravens had like five guys who met that standard and they almost cut all of them. But it was all to to manipulate their injured reserve and get them back on. So McPhee's been re-signed. He's on the team now again. Okay, And is he going to start? Is he going to kind of be that early down edge? I, I imagine so. I mean, McPhee, the problem is that he's good at everything. And, and so the issue is that it's hard to decide when he should be off the field, yet a guy like that really needs managed snaps. So McPhee, the last few years, has been kick inside on third down in the Ravens' four outside linebacker package, and or three, and then be on the edge on first or second down where he can be very effective against the run. So uh, he played the full season last year and, and looked good doing it. And obviously, he was great in the playoff game at Tennessee. Uh, two years ago, he got well. Okay, 20, 2019, he got hurt after about yeah. seven games. I mean, his season. his first season outside of Baltimore, twenty fifteen in Chicago, he was one of the best players in the NFL. Phenomenal, phenomenal and, player. And you know, obviously, hasn't been healthy. But yeah, I mean that that's a good group, right? And like I said, like a lot of low stakes gambles. Um, you know, are are you know are how they do this, and and it's sort of how they have to because they don't have the resources, not necessarily like the cap space. I mean, they will have cap space issues when they sign Lamar, but like, it's not even cap space issues. It's just like, if you want to have basically, if you want to have premier talent at premium positions, you know, you kind of have to give it up somewhere, have a bad season or you have to trade, make trades and they don't want to make trades because generally speaking, they're sucker bets. Yeah, I, I, there's, there's a couple of things I really want to say about this. So the first is the Ravens are very unusual in the number of outside linebackers per play they use. They use a very high number and they use few inside linebackers. So they put on this four outside linebacker package, which they played 13.2% of the time in 19, 
sorry, in 2019. Um, and that was actually more than they played the base defense. They played the base defense 10.2% of the time, or 10.6, I think, actually, mm-hmm. 13.2. That's right. And, and uh, what gets me about that is that you really need to have quite a stable of outside linebackers to be able to maintain that. If you tried to do it with four, you couldn't. So they've been doing activating five per week. And now what they've done the last two years is to have a six-to-make-five roster in 20 and 21, where they keep six outside linebackers on the 53 with the intention to only keep five active per week, which I think is probably revolutionary in the NFL in terms of anybody trying that. But it makes all kinds of sense if you look at pitching rotations and the need to you know, mm-hmm. account for the possibility of injuries as the season moves along. Well, and freshness, too. I yeah. think the, the statistical backing, it, it's hard because there's all this like survival shit bias, right? Like the more... Yes there it's hard to find statistical evidence that the more you play the worse you get because there's like this survivorship issue where the better players play more you know so like it's hard to untangle that but it just stands to reason that the fresher you are the better you are at rushing the passer especially um given how you know you know how athletic that position is right like edge edge the reason edge is so efficient is that there are a lot of variables that correlate with its its success it's one of the few positions where stuff like you know combine statistics actually matter um you know in a very first order way and so again that's what makes it hard but if you can you know sort of play money ball with the position the way the ravens have you can sort of build an aggregate pair or triple in your case, in you guys' case at edge and actually get efficiency out of that. Um, it, it helps even more to have a secondary that makes the quarterback hold the ball just a little bit longer because then you don't have to beat reliably tackles every single play in two and a half or less. Yeah, absolutely. And the survivor bishop bias, I want to give people another example that I think it's more clear on. You go back to the dawn of sabermetrics, and really this is right, right around 1980 when Bill James was first coming out with, with his initial baseball abstracts. One of the things he, he, he did that was one of the best theoretical things was to show the aging curve and that basically all players peak at 27 in terms of how good they are. But if you look at who's still in the league in their, in their 30s, the, the league has already weeded out the crappy players – so you've got only stars left who are playing in their 30s. That's an example of survivorship bias, yeah. where it's very hard for, the, for you to then easily prove that, you know, the, the, the players in their 30s are not as good as the players in their 20s, because that's not exactly what you mean. What you really mean is a player at 27 is always pretty much going to be at the peak of his physical uh, abilities. Yeah, exactly. Like the, you know, if we if we were subjected to Landry Jones playing at 43 years old, like, we'd understand how great Tom Brady is. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there you go. All right. Is there, is there more charts, anything more on, on the topic? No, this is, this is it. This is fantastic stuff. This is always great. It's pithy. It's, it's, a, it, it tells a very good story right away. Eric, I love having you on for these kind of material. You're welcome anytime. Of course, uh, anything new you're writing on or working on, you want to tell people about uh, I'm actually uh, Tuesday at PFF.com. I'm doing a little bit of a study about how much O-line continuity affects the betting spread. So, um, you know, oftentimes I, I, you know, I'd have, I'd talk to coaches and they'd say, look, I, there are some positions you can slough off on. Um, but if, if my entire line is together, that's actually better than having, um, you know, you know, uh, elite players and having two guys in and out all the time. 
Um, It's going to be interesting this season with COVID, just like it was last year. But I think it's even going to be more interesting given that probably the the most elite team in the NFL, the betting favorites to win the Super Bowl, are going to go into the season with five new offensive linemen. And it's going to be a really interesting sort of like, okay, does it, you know, how does continuity sometimes overcomes ability at that position? Is that going to be the case uh, for Kansas City? And if it is, you know, they come out of the gate with Cleveland and Baltimore in weeks one and two. Chiefs have started 4-0 or better every single season since 2017. Could this be the year that they don't? Yeah, well, I, I, let's hope so because they play the Ravens in week two. Yeah. But, uh, but that's, that's an interesting point because the Ravens certainly had tremendous continuity issues just during this preseason. And then they seem to get their starting five on the field. It looks a lot better. But continuity game to game as opposed to season to season? Or are you looking at both in the study you're doing? Both. I mean, there's actually a lot of signal in this season, week X, last season, week one. How many starters do you carry over mm-hmm. there? And again, a lot of that. So this is the hard thing with statistics. A lot of times there's other information buried in that that number. You know, salary cap health is buried in that number. Mm-hmm. You know, salary cap health is a function of team you know, uh, functionality. Um, there's also, you know, there's injury stuff, which again, like some teams are always injured and, and that, you know, go permeates itself to the roster. So it's a very interesting question. Okay. We'd love to have you back on that. And would like to specifically do that. If you could do it with the Ravens bent, would love to, would love to have you back for that. Uh, Eric, uh, your handle, where can people talk football with you? Yep, PFF underscore Eric on Twitter. Um, I have a podcast called the PFF Forecast, which comes out uh, Sunday and Wednesday evenings uh, every week. Um, yeah. I, I know you mentioned a, a lot of what you do at PFF seems to be related to gambling in, in one way or another. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I like to think of myself more on the team side. So I like helping, you know, do the team consulting stuff. But most of the content is going to be fantasy gambling related. Um which, you know, folks are really interested in, you know, like, and and that's a a big deal now. All right. All right, Eric, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.